0: Welcome to Euroactive's Tech Brief Podcast. My name is Stefan Hartmann, your technology reporter. This week, we look at the EU-US data transfer agreements, asking ourselves if this is not an endless disagreement. For an overview of all things technology in the EU, sign up to our free newsletter or visit the website euroactive.com. This is Euroactive's Tech Brief Podcast. Mr. masks Schrems, you are an Austrian lawyer, an activist who launched the not-for-profit organization AYOB, standing for none of your business, which is very close to your motto, my privacy is none of your business. You have been known for filling multiple lawsuits which bear your name, the cases Schrems 1 and Schrems 2, are well known for anyone working in the field of data privacy, and the implementation of the EU General Protection on Data Regulation. So to start, uh, Mr. Schrems, could you explain to our audience why you started to file complaints to the Irish Data Protection Commission in 2011, which eventually ended up in the Schrems 1 and Schrems 2 cases?
1: Hey there. Um, Yeah, generally, um, we did a lot of privacy, or I did a lot of privacy, before um, any of this became, like... A major topic, and um, uh, I was actually studying for half a year in California, and it was kind of interesting because um, the guys back then um, were speaking about European privacy law, and largely the narrative was the Europeans are kind of cute, but all their regulation or all their privacy and whatever. Um, but if you just don't comply with it, nothing happens, anyways. And that was a bit the trigger point to say, okay, let's let's see what happens if you go to the regulator, and and the truth after. Yeah, twelve years is is they were absolutely right. There's really not much happening if you violate the law in in this area in Europe, and that is a bit what um, you know kind of then led to a whole decade of of getting invested into the topic gradually.
0: Um, and looking at the specific uh, topic, as you say, uh, the SHRAMS1 and Shrimp Two cases. Uh, could you detail uh, a bit uh, what was the, the cases, the lawsuits that you that you filed in front of the Court of Justice of the EU?
1: Yeah, so we already did a bit of privacy, and um, then the whole Snowden um, disclosures came up, where we then saw that basically the NSA is not is scooping up a lot of the data that is with the big tech companies in in the US, and as we largely use them for our own for infrastructure, that means that. The NSA does not have to kind of tap into your phone or, you know, into your computer anymore. They just tap into um, the Apples and Googles and Microsofts of the world um, to get all the data just as a like one-stop shop, so to say. Um, and it was interesting at the time. I mean, the European Parliament had, uh, I don't know, resolutions and outrage and Merkel was outraged and all that kind of stuff. Um, but actually, journalists then called me as a privacy lawyer and said, you know, is that actually legal for the U.S. companies to do? Um, I mean, we all know that that's a requirement under U.S. law, but is it legal under European law because they also have to comply with European privacy laws? And the answer was no. So um, I filed a complaint on that with the Irish regulator, the Data Protection Commissioner there, and um, they managed to kind of run this procedure into the ground for ten years, repeatedly with all um, with all really abusive office that you can think of. Um, Officially, all these cases were actually dealt with, but de facto, they have uh, removed evidence from the procedures, have, have even sued me and, and you know, took out all the options that they have to make sure that, that U.S. big tech is protected in Ireland. Um, and that is then the reality you oftentimes see. So it's interesting because we won at the court of justice and we usually win at the higher levels of, of the legal system. Um, but the lower levels of the legal system, and, and especially, so to say, the executive here is really trying almost everything to make sure that the legislation is not properly enforced. So what came out of the last years is a very bitter and problematic um, situation we have where we see that the... Legislative has actually said we want to have proper protections, we want to have big fines, all of that. Um, the GDPR was passed in the European Parliament with more than 90%. But now we see that the executive, so the data protection authorities, but partly also the, the local courts, simply do not enforce that and find 100 reasons why not to. Um, and that is a bit our daily our daily um, exercises here at NOIP to make sure that, that um, at least some of it gets enforced.
0: But if we look at the higher level, uh, as you said, uh, in July this year, the EU and the US signed a new agreement uh, called the Data Privacy Framework, which allows data transfers from the EU to the US and will start on October the 10th. So soon after the announcement, your uh, NGO denounced it, saying you will challenge the decision to the top EU court uh, in a Schrems Free lawsuit. So can you specify what you consider this new agreement to be non-compliant with the EU rules?
1: Yeah, so um, I mean, we have to zoom out and it's a very complex topic. It's it's hundreds and hundreds of pages you have to read to, to get a full understanding of all of this. And to be honest, I think very little people actually have ever read that. So a lot of the discussion right now is inspired by press releases or you know conference talks and so on, but not really by substance. Um, If you go into the substance, we have a fundamental clash on a very high level, which is U.S. surveillance laws, which is mainly Pfizer 702 that we look into, um, requires that American companies provide um, what you can call mass surveillance or bulk access to data, which means that um, they can, without a specific court order, without the probable cause, get the data off anybody that is not American citizen. What you need is an electronic communication service provider, so any of the big cloud providers, for example, and you need foreign intelligence information, as they call it, so information that's relevant to the foreign conduct of the United States. So we're basically talking about espionage laws with very, very low thresholds. That is illegal in the European Union. The Court of Justice has said that twice it violates the Charter of Fundamental Rights, and it even violates the essence of of these fundamental rights, partly, which means that this is a very, very grave violation violation of our fundamental rights. The interesting thing is we actually agree on that. The um, U.S. would also find that uh, unconstitutional under the Fourth Amendment because the Fourth Amendment requires that there's probable cause and that a judge signs off on on any kind of wiretapping. But the U.S. takes the view that these uh, rights are only available to its own citizens, to so-called U.S. persons. And that is the fundamental shift that we have a global Internet, but we have protections that are, in the case of the US, limited to their own citizens. And and that means that any foreigner is fair game. Now that was found by the Court of Justice twice. The first the deal was called Safe Harbor. That was already passed in 2000, and, and back then already criticized by professors that that actually work on that, which is a time where I was 13 years old, <laughs> just to give you a bit of a perspective. That um, was then overturned by the Court of Justice in Trems 1. Then they passed more or less the same text a second time around, and and that was the so-called Privacy Shield. So what the Commission did here is that the court of justice told them you cannot do that, that's unconstitutional or a violation of the charter as we call it in EU law. But they passed it a second time anyways. Court of justice took another, I think with the whole procedure over all five years, um, if you add the national procedure to it, to overturn the second version a second time around. And then the commission basically pledged it would never do that again and any new deal would be very, very different. And now we have exactly the same situation where, as far as we know, Fundalign simply ordered everybody else to have a a, a new deal. And now we more or less passed exactly the same deal a third time around with a third name and a third logo. But the substance of it is more or less the same another time around. As I mentioned before, I think we're really in the the area of privacy um, or, or data protection reaching a level where we have a bit of a constitutional crisis. If the European Commission, and in this case, it's, it's uh, Reinders as the justice commissioner that is that is in charge of that, ultimately, is simply passing the same thing over and over again and more or less ignores Luxembourg. Um, we have a situation where the commission, who is meant to be like the guardian of the treaties, is simply ignoring the highest court and and at least part of the treaties here because the charter is the charters part of the treaties. The same thing happens also with the data protection authorities. Um, we, uh, after the first, the second ruling, we had about 10, two years where there was no legal basis applicable for these transfers. The authorities have simply done nothing about it. A couple of authorities, in some niche cases, have actually decided, but generally there was just no enforcement, and that is something where we have to really think if we can simply have the European Union pass more and more and more laws. If then they are not nationally enforced nationally, and that's especially with data protection, a problem that we have national data protection authorities and and some of the appointments are rather obviously inspired by protecting local business and not by actually finding the best people. And that is an overall situation we have in this sector that is extremely troubling for for our work and, and in general.
0: I understand your 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 use of the word a constitutional crisis, but um, well, I, I would just like to 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 make you um react on this because the GDPR is a regulation, so it applies to all the EU in the same way uh, everywhere, and the data privacy framework so was negotiated by the European Commission on behalf of the EU member states and then was voted by the member states uh, at a council meeting uh, by, an over, by an overwhelming majority 24 member states voted in july in favor of a data privacy framework and three votes went against uh, so mainly austria slovenia and belgium so here are my questions for you why did you what why do you believe are so many member states uh, vote uh, in favor uh, in your view, and why, in your opinion, didn't Austria, Slovenia, and Belgium uh, vote against?
1: Uh, we don't know about the specific countries, so I can't really answer on that. Um, generally, what we see is the European Parliament is usually very critical of that. They have also um, voiced criticism on on the New Deal and said it should not be signed, um, but they don't have a role in this. Um, so, And on the Council side, we generally know that they're especially when it comes to privacy issues, it's extremely industry leading and is more or less waving these things through. So that is the political reality we have. And my criticism would then also extend to member states that continuously ignore the court of justice on that side. But that's not really the biggest news, let's put it that way. I mean, we have the same thing, for example, with data retention, where the court of justice repeatedly said you can't do it, and member states still pass these laws or have them and just uh, largely find ways that um the enforcement is 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 undermined or the kind of compliance with with the um rulings of the court of justice what's new is that the commission is also like really actively engaging on that side of the game and that is i think rather troublesome and it's a bit of a i think different culture that has exa- may have been established in in the current commission when it comes to privacy it used to be that the commission was more on a progressive side here and now you see that also with, for example, a suggestion of a new procedural new procedural rules for the data protection authorities. There's a very, um, let's say, top-down authoritarian, shut up and just, you know, uh, let it go <laughs> approach um, that that is um, quite visible. It, I think it took a while for everybody to understand that, but by now it's kind of almost undeniable. We hope, obviously, that with a new commission, there may be a different approach there. Uh, But that's a bit the situation that we work with right now, which means it will all go back to the court of justice another time around. The court of justice will probably say the same thing another time around and we'll all start from square. And that is also, I think for the proponents of a deal, not really overly useful because all we have right now is legal uncertainty, not really a solution in sight. Um, And we're just passing the can down the road. Like we're just kicking the can down the road. And for a lot of industry, that's good enough. Just, you know, not have a problem today, maybe have one tomorrow. But in the long run, that's not how politics should work. We should really solve the underlying issues, I guess.
0: I see. So maybe to make it very specific, um, what is concretely happening for EU citizens data? Um, How one should imagine data flow from the EU to the US uh, that started on October the 10th?
1: Um, Actually, all of that is continuously happening. It just happens illegally. It may be legalized again. And you have to think that all um, the decisions of the Court of Justice are retroactive. So basically since 2000, most of the data flows are illegal and there's not really any consequence that comes from it right now. With the new deal, um, once the deal is there and properly signed and properly published and all of that, you do have the situation that only the Court of Justice can invalidate it again. So the politicians have learned that if they just pass illegal deals faster than the Court of Justice annuls them, they have some time to to kind of have everybody be in a safe boat. For that, we expect that to be two to three years in something in that ballpark um, until we're back at the Court of Justice and then have it annulled again. That is the reality of how, how the legal system works. So everybody has the right to use it. Um, in content, fundamentally, we got headlines. We got, for example, that the U.S. agreed to use um, the, the word proportionality in in surveillance, which is the European word, and the Court of Justice has said a couple of times that this is not proportionate, and the EU has prided itself to say, okay, now the U.S. has promised us to be proportionate. At the same time, the U.S. has said, actually, we're continuing to do what we have already done, and we'll just have our own interpretation of the word proportionate. So they agreed on the word, but not on the meaning. The American meaning will say you can do it. The European meaning will say you can't do it. And then obviously von der Line can sit on the stage or or Rinders can sit on the stage and said, Woo, we have proportionality. And all the journalists write it into their little news update. Um, but actually, if you look underneath the hood, you see that there's a different definition. Same thing, for example, that they said that there will be a court actually, it's the good old ombudsperson that has been in the old deal that the court of justice has has overturned with a couple of extras. Uh, but fundamentally what they built there is a second ombudsperson with multiple people sitting on the bench, which is an executive body, um, part of the justice ministry. Um, But the European Union insisted that the Americans call this a court. So the Americans complied and put like a new sign on it and said, oh, it's not a tribunal, it's a court. It's obviously not a court, but that allowed some commissioners to sit on the bench and say, oh, we have a court. Um, What I I think the point I want to make is if you zoom out of this, we have a bigger problem. If the European Commission engages in, tactics like that that are really problematic, um, we lose our ground internationally, we lose our credibility as the European Union um, to be, let's say, a continent where craziness like that usually does not happen. I see it really as, as a citizen, as a problematic situation where we basically produce or fabricate facts um, just to, to get to political goal. That is that is not what I would expect from from my representatives personally. And that is what over the years is is getting more and more um problematic if you if you watch it and oftentimes wonder um if if we can U-turn that again or if if we continue that direction.
0: I see. Yeah. but what is different this time is that uh, there was also this um this uh, French member of Parliament, uh, Philippe Latombe uh, from the former centrist party, from the ruling party, uh, from Macron's party who actually decided to, took, to take action and filled two complaints to the Court of Justice in, uh, of the EU in September, one for suspension of a data privacy framework and one to nullify the agreement's tax. Uh, and I believe you met with Mr. Latombe some two to three weeks ago. Uh, do you believe uh, his complaints have a chance to succeed? Uh, do they overlap with uh, the lawsuit that you would like to fill?
1: Um, Yeah, so basically there's, um, just to zoom out, and for probably all the listeners, there is um, different ways to get to an annulment by the Court of Justice. Um, There is a lawsuit for annulment that you can bring um, at the general court, which is the lower court in the European system. But for that, you have to do that, first of all, within two months. And secondly, you have to show that you're personally affected. Now, that is easy to prove if there is a decision that concerns you personally. I don't know your... Um, a public servant in the EU and, I don't know, there's some decision on you or your company and uh, the European Union made a decision that concerns you directly. Um, in this case, you have a, a general decision that, that concerns everybody. Um, so there may be an issue that, that um, that's simply not going to be admitted for procedural reasons um last time that was already tried by a french organization called um La that was never really fully decided because our case kind of ran first so that is the downside of going to the general court that there is a um rather complicated way or there's no r- real certainty that it will actually be accepted. The other option you have, and that's what we're working on, is to get a national court to refer the matter to the Court of Justice, which is a reference. Uh, that way you jump the lower court, you get to the Court of Justice directly, and there is no need to show that you're personally or directly affected. It's basically the national court that decides if, if the question is relevant for your case or not. Okay. That is the approach we took the last two times, and we're going to stick with that as well. Uh, for the reasons outlined. However, that also means that you have to go through a national procedure first, which can take some time and also in reality have some costs. Uh, Just to give you an idea, the Schrems 2 litigation cost around 10 million euros. I ended up not paying it because I won. But all of that is also not that easy. So oftentimes um, it's a bit sad, like, you know, look at that student. He was able to go to the court of justice. It worked in this individual case, but um, generally it's 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 not that easy to do that. So you need um, a lot of resources, uh, network and so on to to be able to bring that. We do have that already. So we're, it's the reason we're trying to run a second time around. But obviously, if more people bring cases up or, or raise issues, um, the more the merrier. So uh, we're always supportive of anybody that that uh, brings situations up like that.
0: You just said the more the merrier. Um, did you receive support from uh, EU
1: lawmakers,
0: experts, lawyers, data protection officers in the EU?
1: Um, I think right now it's more that that they seek our support sometimes, at least if you look at the requests we get. Um, So I think generally everybody's a bit sick and tired of the debate in that area. It is a debate that goes on for 10 years now. It really questions fundamentals of of how these systems work and people are either love or hate what you're doing and partly that also becomes very personal then you know you're kind of the face for this whole debate Um, I sometimes joke it's a bit like being the mickey mouse for privacy that either people want to take a picture of or want to throw things at i i over over time accepted that that's the reality that we're in but it's not always overly pleasant and to be honest i think for for all of us, there would be other, more fruitful and and um, more sensible things to do. But as I said before, I think we we've witnessed a bit of a constitutional problem or crisis here, even that that is hard to just back down from and just say, okay, the commission won because it just passed laws more often than anybody bothered to to appeal them. In
0: as you just said, um, it might become a bit personal, and just for clarification, so. Uh, I believe both of your lawsuits, uh, SHREMS 1 against the Safe Harbor, SHREMS 2 against the Privacy Shield, and now maybe Schrems 3 against Data Protection Framework. Um, The way you're working, and this is exactly what you were uh, telling us earlier, is that complaints are filed against one specific company in order to to show that uh, there is
1: uh,
0: a data transfer risk for EU citizens' data and for EU citizens uh, protection rights, which create then a domino effect and nullifies the agreement. And I believe twice you decided to file complaints against Facebook. So will you choose Facebook a third time in the Schrems II uh, lawsuit? And um, uh, why are you choosing Facebook uh, every time?
1: Um, To be honest, I only chose Facebook the first time. And at the time, Facebook was still a platform people used and not like where your grandma is. (laughs) um, But um, the second time, I actually did not see any point in going to the Court of Justice the second time around. We actually resisted the second reference and said the court has actually said anything it needs to say in the first reference already. It was the Irish Data Protection Commissioner that sued me and Facebook. So I was actually in the case and couldn't even choose to to have the case or not have the case. So that was a bit different. Um, it's, it's oftentimes people think, because the case is generally called Tramps 2, in reality, it's called Facebook and another, actually. They think that it was like my brainchild. If it would have been my brainchild, uh, probably the case would have been two two years quicker and, and structured very differently. <laughs> so we, we had to kind of take a case that the DPC, um, the Irish DPC filed. It mainly filed that for strategic reasons, just like the first case as well. The DPC made up arguments or made up reasons why it cannot enforce the case when it always had the power to actually stop Facebook's data transfers um, under the current law. But we see that there is just absolute resistance by the DPC to enforce anything. So they usually come up with weird arguments and reasons and unfortunate situations why they can unfortunately in that situation not enforce stuff. And that situation, they basically said that they saw an invalidity in the so-called standard contractual clauses, which was just utter bullshit. And the DPC was kind of the only one in the room that argued that. But that argument basically led to a situation where they said, oh, the Irish courts cannot decide, so therefore we have to go to the Court of Justice because it's a validity question. The fact that the privacy shield was actually killed in, in... on the way was more like a byproduct of of, of how the litigation then, then um, spun out. Uh, so back to your question for the third one, we're actually considering different options right now, and that the defendant will probably be um, chosen in, in the very last stage. Um, and we are right now um, have a couple of options on the table and we'll decide in the end.
0: OK, thank you very much. You've mentioned multiple times uh, standard contractual clauses. So uh, basically, they have a standard contractual clauses in the GDPR that companies have to uh, agree on when they work with, uh, with, with a company that is outside uh, the EU or outside uh, a contract made by the EU and another country, which would uh, consider that there is enough protection for this country uh, as in the EU, just like uh, the what the data uh, protection framework is trying to do. Um, so. If the EU court rules against the new data deal, um, US and EU companies will have to continue using these clauses. Um, And they oblige US counterparts to provide a lot of safeguards when treating EU data. So can you elaborate what these uh, standard contractual clauses are and how they differ to the data protection framework deal? Do you believe they are enough in your view? Do they provide gaps?
1: So all of that is, is probably... Subject of a two-hour detailed legal explanation, but I'll try to do my best to do a minute. So fundamentally, what we do with all of that is that we expand EU law to other countries. So we kind of say if you're in another country somewhere else in the world and you follow the same rules as, as, as the European Union companies do, then it's all fine and you can have our data. Generally, however, if that's not true, um, we have a general expert prohibition on personal data ever since 1995 in the European Union. So fundamentally, the problem is if you have privacy protections in the European Union, but then transfer your data to, I don't know, Belarus, uh, or like, I don't know, some other place, and they do not have a law, then your whole protection in Europe doesn't make any sense because you can bypass it just by crossing a border. So that's the reason we need these data transfer. If it now comes to a country that does not have any rules, um, a contract is an option. And we've always defended that also at the Court of Justice where, where that was questioned, if that's an option. And I think the contractual arrangements can work well if if they're done properly. There are in detail Questions around the SECs and how they're drafted, and if if that's all good, uh, but generally, as yes, from structural perspective, that's that's a doable solution. The problem does not draw, lie in these in these instruments. The problem lies in the other countries' laws. So if you have a vacuum in the other country, that's all fine. But if you have a conflicting law in the other country that, for example, says you have to provide all the all the data to the government, these contracts are null and void. You cannot you know, have a contract and contract out of national law. So if, if you were in any country, let's say South Africa, and South Africa has a law saying you have to do X, Y, Z, you cannot have a contract and say, oh, South African law doesn't apply to me anymore because I signed a contract with someone. And that is fundamentally where the SECs fail as well. Where if there is a conflicting law, like we have it in the US, but probably also in, I don't know, China or Russia or something, all these deals lose their value and lose their efficiency. Um, I explained it a couple of times that way. It's like basically we have a conflict of law situation. There's too much law around. There is um, law on the European Union side that says privacy, law in another country's um, side that says surveillance and they just clash with each other. It's like two trains colliding. There's too much law, and that basically provides a problem. What the European Commission now tries with all these deals is to put another piece of paper in between, and that cannot solve the problems. Technically, fundamentally, it cannot solve the problem uh, because you're not going to get outside of this kind of clash of two jurisdictions, a clash of laws. You may be able to get that solved if if the laws kind of retrieve a little bit, or if the laws basically give more flexibility to the reality in another country. Now, from a European perspective, that will be very hard to do because um, the right to privacy is a fundamental right, and unless we change the charter, which would require all the member states to agree, this is simply going to be the situation that we have. On the U.S. side, it's very hard to change because. Bottom line is they say, we're not going to give any rights to foreigners. Foreigners do not have rights because they're foreigners. And that doctrine in the U.S. is politically almost impossible to overcome. So right now, I think we're bound for for problems for the time being, unless, and that was kind of our theory of change, it's going to be hurtful enough for American companies so that they go to their representatives and say, you know, it's going to be hard for us to sell our products abroad anymore if any Microsoft or Google or Amazon product always comes with NSA surveillance in the package. Um, no one is gonna buy that stuff anymore. Um, and I think that in the, in the medium term will happen because we will see more and more of, of, of these situations where companies wonder where their data actually goes. And that will lead to a fragmentation of the internet, a, what they call splinter net or balkanization of the internet, which is not the ideal solution. I think in the long run, what we need is international agreements around that, that we say, okay, there is fair government access to data. But that is not based on citizenship, but based on probable cause, on you know, judicial approval, all these things that we actually agree on at least among the democratic countries. So, I think what we need is is an internationalization of of the protections that that can then also allow an internationalization of the data flows. Um, but we cannot have free data flows without protections. That usually doesn't really play out and generates the frictions that we have right now.
0: Thank you very much. And. Maybe one last question to 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 close the discussion. So we understood that there is a fail, uh, well, there is a conflict in law. With uh, you used the image of two trains colliding. So we have a EU train with uh, data privacy protection rules and the US train with uh, mass surveillance rules that are actually colliding uh, at the moment with two separate jurisdictions. So do you believe that this internationalization of protection? Uh, is possible that, that the EU and US discrepancies in the legal systems can be managed or that we are at the moment in an endless loop of legal dispute?
1: I think we have to kind of start ex- really trying to understand the underlying problem and not brush it away. Like politicians currently just pretended it doesn't exist and hoped it went away. It's not going to go away. We have to properly understand the problem and come up with a proper solution. I think there is a good argument for you know, protections if your data goes abroad, and that should also be applicable to, obviously, to, to Americans if their data goes to Europe. And quite honestly, the US experience is the same thing with China right now when they are outraged about TikTok having the data of their people or of Huawei being in their 5G network. So that the problem, I think, is, is bubbling up more and more and more. And what we need is recognize the problem and find a proper solution. And the proper solution would probably be reciprocity in in protections. There is a bit of a starting point. Uh, I mean, we have that with the adequacy decisions in in our law. The US also in this new so-called new executive order that they passed also have a clause that basically these protections only apply to jurisdictions that give the Americans protections. So we could get into a certain rhythm and system where um, again, kind of the democratic countries in the world would kind of grant these government surveillance rights or rights against government surveillance to each other to foster international data flows i think that would be the perfect solution to be a realist maybe we see that when in 10 20 years at some point if there is a window of opportunity where there's a bigger drama and suddenly politicians um, you know feel the feel the heat to actually do it right now i don't really see it and uh, i mean we also have to see that we may have a new uh, president trump over there for the next uh, couple of years so the situation may actually not get much better, as always, I guess, in the political sphere and, and many other people listening to the pod, this podcast know much more about politics than I do. Uh, you need this kind of specific window of opportunity to get it done. But I think for that time, we need also already have a, a solution, a proposal in the drawer, which ex, which exists, which is kind of this international agreement on, on, on government access. And last point um, there, I think it's important to mention that we also have that problem within the European Union. Uh, we do have at least three member states, uh, Sweden, France, and, and Germany, that have more serious um, surveillance capacities. Um, and they also don't really grant any rights to, to let's say, an Austrian citizen <laughs> um, that may be upset about that or may have an issue that, that he wants to get clarified. Um, so I think we have to really look at that a bit closer. And um, it's one of the kind of late fallouts of 9-11. I mean, the, the security services used to really spy on each other and spy on each other's countries and so on now we have security services or or secret services that really try to go after individuals much more and that then also requires that there is proper protection that that fits that as we usually had it for example in the criminal sphere um and i think there is now after the decade or one and a half decades of, of of 9 11 drama maybe a bit more of a reasonable approach to that to say okay there must be some protections at least um, and I think in, in, in that thinking we may get somewhere but we need the right people to sit there and make the decisions uh, to be honest over the last one or two years uh, I increasingly lost a bit the trust at least in the people that sit on our side on this.
0: That is all we got time for this week don't forget to sign up to our free Tech Brief newsletter to stay on top of tech news and digital policy developments in the EU and beyond. Also, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast published on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher and Amazon Music. I am Theophan Hartmann and thank you for listening.